inebriated, I ask you to stand up. The drunk man does. He looks around at everybody seated and says, Welp, I guess it's just you and me again tonight, Father. (laughs) Now, we're all laughing at that because, well, it's funny, but... My point is we, we often don't know. Here's another taboo thing we're going to talk about now. The title of today's message is simply Drunk But Not Filled. We're going to talk about alcohol consumption in, in, in regards to Christians. And this can be, um, it, this is taboo in a different way. It's not taboo in the fact that it's very common in our culture. You know, drinking alcohol is very common in our culture. But it is taboo to talk about it in the church because, for instance, we know that, that, you know, our Catholic brothers and sisters, which is who they make this joke about, we know that, that, that even, Pat, you know, even the priests, it's very common that everybody knows that they drink and they have, you know, they have beverages at parties, at church parties. I went to Germany on a trip and their churches there actually have what they call beer gardens and their festivals with alcoholic beverages all across their um, all, all across the, the, you know, as part of the event. That's the reason people come to drink and be at church for this church event. And then you have our Southern Baptist brothers and more fundamentalist movements like I came from in a Pentecostal movement um, where, you know, this is, I actually had to sign a paper there that said I would not consume alcohol while I am ordained as an Assemblies of God minister. So we have these other angles where it is completely frowned upon and an absolute, what do they call them, teetotalers? I just really learned that word, that, that you take a teetotaler approach to this. And so how do we talk about this in the church? And again, I have never really given a message like this today. And I couldn't even give the message that I'm going to give today in my former, uh, in, in my former fellowship when I was ordained as an Assemblies of God Pentecostal minister. Now, the reason um, I'm saying that to you is because... This book is just the scripture. The word of the Lord is really not that complicated on this matter. And we're going to to go right through these same filters that we have been going through each week with sexuality. We're going to go right through quickly with sin, with grace, with responsibility, and then with the attitude of love and allow the Lord to speak to us today. And so here's where we're going to go today. We're going to go to uh, we're going to go back to Bible school. There's going to be a lot of scriptures today. So I'd encourage you in your bulletin, um, in your bulletin, Jill Soar, can I ask you a big, big favor? And I don't know if, but uh, I do a horrible job of forgetting my glasses when I come up here and I can't see that screen. Would you happen to see if my glasses are just on the desk in there? Um, but, but in your bulletin, um, you see a part that says sermon notes, right? Um, a good thing you could write in there today would be all of these scriptures. You won't be able to, don't, I'm not talking about writing every word that comes on the screen, but putting the scripture reference so you can go back to some of those things yourself. Uh, so, so throughout the, the message, okay? Um, so we're going to jump, and we started with, um, did you get them? Thank you very much. Uh, were they on the bookshelf? Yes. Yes, that's it. Oh, hey, Ruby, I didn't know you was there. It's good to see everybody now. Now, um, 65, oh, by the way, curious, before I get into this, there's a pastor, one of the pastors of the largest, the two of the lar- of one of the two largest churches in Cincinnati. He took a beer out of a cooler and took a drink 
just to see how his congregation would respond. He kind of had this in his hand the whole service. And then he finally took a drink to see how his congregation would respond. Now, I would personally, I would never do something like that for reasons that you will uh, hear about towards the end of this message. But his point, I still think was valid, was to ask, start asking ourselves in those moments where our ideas of this come from, okay? And that's a good thing to begin before we get into scripture today, where our ideas of alcohol consumption and the church come from. Does it come from tradition? Does it come from the Bible? Um, Or does it even come from, hey, this is something I don't even care about. Everybody does it, so I'm going to do it too. Okay? Whether 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 we can deny it or not, we have an opinion somewhere about these things that that actually affects our life. We have an opinion about these things that actually affects how we, what we practice and what we do regarding these matters. 65% of the people in church, now church, say that drinking is morally acceptable. Now, the church continues, Christians continue to be the most conservative, basically demographic on these issues. American Christians, as a matter of fact, continue to be the most conservative on these issues. So we're going to get into this today and unpack what does scripture say and come to what I believe are some pretty clear perspectives of how to approach this kind of thing. You guys ready? You excited? I didn't think so. But, but I, I, you know, I didn't think everybody was going to shout. But, but, but I think that, that you're cur- at least if anything else in this moment, you're curious. You know, where are we get, where's he going to go with this? What is he, is he going to say? Am I going to be offended? Am I going to have to leave the church? What, where is he going to go with this this morning? Well, I'm going to tell you where we're going to go. Right here, okay? Everything, you're going to hear more scripture today than you're going to hear Pastor Brody preaching, okay? Starting now. I've already talked a lot. But you're going to hear more scripture today than than you're going to hear from me. So be ready. Uh, Write these scriptures down, and we're going to jump right into this. So let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll talk about sin. Jesus, you're alive. And this morning, Lord, I need your help. I need the help of the Spirit of God to bring forth revelation from his word. And now, Lord, you want to do more than just give us understanding. In moments like this on a Sunday morning, we didn't just come to understand. We came to be empowered. To let the power of the Spirit of God bring forth transformation in our life. To show us a better way. And Lord, so may our hearts be soft and ready to receive what your spirit has to say to us in such a time as this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, We're going to begin talking about the topic, going right through these filters from Cast the First Stone series. First, we're going to talk about sin. We're going to say what the Bible says is a sin in regards to alcohol consumption. So let's jump into Romans 13, 13. Romans 13, it says, Let us behave decently is in the daytime not in carousing and drunkenness now the words there the daytime uh in in in, as a point of awareness a time of awareness in contrast with the darkness a contrast with things going on um, that we don't see going on behind the scenes in luke 21 34 says this be careful This is the words of Christ, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and and the anxieties of life. And that day, which referring to the second coming of Christ, 
will close on you like suddenly like a trap. We're going to put all these together in a minute, but I want to go back to now to Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, which we've been talking about the last two weeks, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, faction, envy, and there's that word, drunkenness. Look at what drunkenness is included with. Orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Here's what the Bible says. This is, so we're going to go a little Old Testament on you now. Here's what the Bible says in Isaiah 5, 11 through 12. Isaiah 5, 11 through 12. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. They have harps and lyres at their banquets, pipes and timbrels and wine, but they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of his hands. And Isaiah 5, 21 through 23 says, Woe, I hope you're writing these scriptures down if you want to put in those notes just the, the references. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. Isn't that always the problem? Well, I got my way that works for me. You do what you do, I'll do what I do. This is what works for me. Wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions of mixing drinks, who acquit the guilty for a bribe, but deny justice to the innocent. Now, last one, Philippians 3.19. This doesn't say alcohol in it, but this is the root of the problem. Another woe. Well, there's a woe kind of before that where it talks about where Paul is referring to those who their destiny is destruction and their lowercase g-o-d is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. So there's some talking points. There are some themes in all of these verses that I just shared. Uh, one of the themes is the idea of watchfulness, that Christ is coming soon, and there is a way of life, a way that we can pursue that, that is, is a way that is not watchful at all, that is doing our own things, that is like Philippians, that our God is our own belly. We are consumed by our own senses. We are consumed by our own entitlements, we are consumed by whatever tastes good, whatever feels good, whatever looks good, whatever sounds good, do it. I'm entitled to those things. This is what my life is about. Whatever, maybe I'll get into the Bible someday. Maybe I'll, be a, maybe I'll go to church someday, but right now I'm going to enjoy myself. See, there is this, this is exactly what Paul is addressing here. This lifestyle, and the word that you read, that, that Clint read as well, is debauchery. This just simply means Reckless indiscretion. You have no having no discretion for, for what is helpful for you, what is destroying your body and your soul, having no what, it, what, is, what is good for you and just doing whatever you want, living sensually as you see drunkenness time and time again placed in the category with all of those other things that we saw in Galatians 5. 
The Bible was very clear, okay? Drunkenness is a sin. It is a problem. It is a pursuit. It is something that, that, that reveals the fruit of the flesh, that reveals the fruit of a man or a woman who is pursuing something in, in opposition to the living God, who is making a choice to continue to pursue something that is in opposition to the will of the Lord. So we've made it really clear in our identification of sin this morning that drunkenness is a problem. Drunkenness is an antichrist pursuit. You can try to argue with me all you want, but I'm going to go back to Scripture because Scripture is very clear on this. Okay? And so now we're going to do something with grace. I'm going to do grace a little different. I like my former way of looking at grace, which, which where grace is that which God has distributed to us in our moments of sin and that which we receive and realize how blessed and grateful we, be, we are so therefore we can distribute that grace back to someone else. That's the way we've been talking about grace in previous uh, weeks. But now I'm going to do something just a little bit different with grace. And I'm going to allow grace to just, uh, just uh, y- y- be a word to represent some space. Well, okay, you've talked about drunkenness, but what about, you know, a drink? What about, you know, what if I accidentally consume an alcoholic beverage? Am I now a sinner? I didn't know that that was fermented wine at communion that you guys slipped me last Sunday, okay? Do I need to come uh, to the altar and pray? So, so where's that line at? So let's see what Scripture says about alcohol, okay? We're going to go do something different here with this one. Psalms 104, 14 through 15. He, referring to God, says he makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth and wine that gladdens humans, human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. So I, I think you can understand the parallel of wine and that gladdens humans' heart. Sure, it's the taste of it, but there's, you're going to see this pattern that there's also a little something more than just the taste of it going on there. Okay, in Isaiah 55, 1, Come all who are thirsty. This is an invitation from a prophet. The same prophet that just rebuked drunkenness, the same prophet that just rebuked those who have a pattern of all they're doing is pursuing you know, intoxication, he says this as well. He says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. So he's saying as an invitation, come and get your wine is, is something you can enjoy, something that is yours to appreciate. So we see this as well in Isaiah 55. Now, John 2, 7 through 9. This is, of course, you've heard this passage. This is in reference to what Jesus did. One of the first miracles he performed at a place named Cana. It said, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he had not realized where it had come from, though the servants knew Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, then he called the bridegroom aside 
Then he called the bridegroom aside. I could go further with that, but you know the story. This is just the text of Jesus filling, uh, changing water to wine. Jesus made wine, helped to make wine for the people to enjoy at a reception. This, this verse messes with fundamentalist heads. I ain't going to lie to you, okay? And I'm going to tell you what they like to do in just a minute. But then he goes, and then the last one is actually the, the, the last verse that really messes with fundamentalists. Matthew 11, 18 through 19. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. That means that he abstained from anything alcoholic. He abstained from anything um, that was meant to be sacred because Paul, they had to deal a lot of this stuff with meats that were supposedly sacrificed to idols. And listen to what they say about Jesus. It says, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Leave that there for a second. Okay, guys. Do you think Jesus had a drink? Everybody's scared to answer that one. Sure he did. It's right in front of you. We can't really wrestle and deny this stuff in Scripture. It's in the Bible. But how can the same, you know, God permit, I mean, when we see where we, we have this understanding that sure, it was customary to have some wine at, at, at different events, and it was customary to drink these things in different parts of the culture, but yet we still see the Bible, the authority of Scripture, uphold the problem of drunkenness. So let's just bring this all out in the open. Are these two different things? Yes. Absolutely they are. Absolutely they are two different things. And drunkenness is a clear pursuit. It is, and if you've got to the point where you don't know whether you've crossed that line or not, well, you've probably crossed the line. If you can't drive home, you've crossed the line. If you've if you've gone past a point, then yes, you've probably crossed a line. You, so here's where, where I want to go now. The, now, first of all, I'll just tell you, there's a couple debates. There's a couple scholarly debates that you can get into about this. One is there's a debate that people will try to say, fundamentalists will try to tell you that Jesus never drank fermented wine. There is absolutely no evidence in Scripture to prove that to be true. What the, the, I've, I've seen... People try to stretch things and, and make it to be true because it's what they want to believe. I, I just don't see that there's any validity in that. However, I will agree with the validity that it is fair to say that the wine that they drink does not have as much stuff added to it as what, what is usually consumed by us today. That most of what we drink is a lot more alcoholic than what Jesus drank in those days. Now, I do think there is some evidence for that as well, just based on how wine was made then and how wine is made now, how it's changed just a little bit. There was much more of a natural process then and a little bit more unnatural process now, but still some similarities. Now, I don't know how it's all done, but, uh, but, I, but I, that's, that's from what I've understood through my study. So um, you guys have made it really, really clear that there's a difference here. So let's get into this. So then now, the most important question, if we can determine that there's a difference, what does that mean for us? What is our responsibility as Christ followers? And this is the part that I hope you're paying attention to today. Because there are a lot of verses that speak to stuff like this. And we're going to hit three of them right now. Okay? First one is 1 Corinthians 6.12. 1 Corinthians 6.12. 
It says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Just hear those words really loud and clear. You do have the right to do just about anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is for edification. Romans 4, 19 through 21 puts it a little better. Romans, excuse me, 14, 19 through 21. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace. Good words. What leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. But it is wrong for a person, listen to this, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So the context of this is that this was a problem when Gentiles and Jews started gathering together. It was a problem, number one, we see this meat thing because it's complicated, but meat basically used to be sacrificed to idols. It was just like it was a common thing. I know we can't touch base with that now. Like, like, where did you get this one? Or what idol was it sacrificed to before it came to Walmart? I just want to know. And it would be, kind of be like part of the label, right? Like, they would know. And it's like, whoa, this was sacrificed to this thing. I can't eat this meat. Okay, that's the, and Jews were very big on that. They couldn't do that. And so, but there were other people that didn't care. I don't care who or what it's been sacrificed to. I want, I want some beef, and I'm going to enjoy it. So there was just that kind of attitude, uh, even then in the church. Like, I don't care who it was sacrificed to. It's not been sacrificed to that for me. So, but for some people in the church, it would greatly offend them that you were doing that. And they throw wine into this too, and you can imagine for similar purposes, because you see, just as, just as we do today, we see many people who are drunkards. We see many people who are out of control with their drinking. And there's the mentality that why would you allow, why would you drink something that, that others go way too far with? And if it's going to be a stumbling block from someone, then maybe you should stop. These are great points. So where do we come to some terms on this? And I want to get to um, back to Ephesians 5. 15 through 18. I want you to put that whole verse up there. Listen, it comes right here in verse 15. Be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Church, as responsibility, we have to be men and women of God that realize if we're going to have a drink, if we're going to make this part of our lifestyle, occasional part of our lifestyle, we're going to have a drink from time to time, then yes, we need to be wise with this. Something we certainly need to be wise with and considerate of how some of our brothers and sisters, how this could be detrimental for them. They had a life where they turned away from alcohol, and yet they see us celebrating on Facebook 
holding our arms up and saying, what is that stupid stuff that we'd like to say? I found my happy place. Come on. This is where the church, where drinking in the church, even if you're not elaborate, you know, um, intoxicated, has become a problem. We celebrate this stuff when others are, are saying, that was my misery. This thing destroyed me, and now you're a brother or sister of Christ, and you're celebrating it publicly? Do you see the problem, church? Do you see where there's a conflict of interest? And this is what Paul is saying in this text. This is not something, it's not wise to celebrate your occasional drink. And it sure as heck isn't wise to celebrate your drunkenness, man or woman of God. This is a problem. And Paul is saying, be not as unwise, but be as wise. We've read the text. Is there anything wrong with having a drink? Sure not. Sure there's not. But how we approach this as a man or a woman of God, what, what, if, if, if somebody's going to see us with a drink in our hand in, in an uncomfortable in an environment where, you know, it, we, we may find ourselves a little bit, you know, like surprised, somebody might surprise, I sure as heck hope that they don't see you intoxicated, that they see that you're someone who's in control of your situation. I'm enjoying myself. I'm having a good time. I'm not, I'm not intoxicated. This is just a drink for me. And church, this is where this goes. This is what scripture is very clear about. This is what scripture is warning about, this pattern of drunkenness and this irresponsibility of Christ followers who, like I said, you know, would, would, would lift up a hand. And I've just, I see people like to put, I've never seen anybody in this church do that or anything, but I love it. But I see that all the time. People put something up. I found my happy place. Man or woman, of God, it'd be great for you to say that with your arms lifted to the living God or down on your knees in prayer. I found my happy place. I found my refuge. I found the place that I belong. I don't need a substance to give me what God wants to give me. Thought I'd get an amen for that one. but God wants to offer you something that is permanent, not dependent upon a substance. And so we must consider our pursuits and our, consider our reasons for going here. So Galatians 5, 13 through 14. I want to go to Galatians 5, 13 through 14. That one, I kind of penciled that one in, but it's in there. It should be in the easy worship. It's not? All right, well, I'll go there real quick. Galatians 5, 13 through 14. So here is our next uh, transition here. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. This is the same guy that wrote the passage. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Both of those things can be true at the same time. Both of those things, we can have a context. Well, sure, there's nothing wrong with this. But there's another context where, like, if we're entitled to, if we think we're entitled to what is permissible, well, is it going to be beneficial? Is there someone else to hear this could be a stumbling block for? Is there someone else here that this is probably not the best context for you to have your drink? Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Now, back to this one. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly 
in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So we're going to hit our final topic now, our final filter. We've been taking all these things through love. Now again, in the previous week, we've been talking about how we can have an attitude of love towards people who have different sexual preferences than we do and how we can still embrace them and confront and possibly confront them and confront this issue is, is one with an attitude of love, not dissension and polarization. But here it's, we have to take a little bit of different approach because like I said, alcohol consumption is much more common and it's really not that it's that taboo in culture. It's can be taboo at times in the church Now, still, but we need an attitude of love to those who are alcoholics and have made their way to the cross. But the bigger idea is being governed by love in this case, too. We need to love each other enough. Hear me now. We need to love each other enough not to be a stumbling block. Not to celebrate something that sends others to hell. Am I drawing the line for you clear enough here? I mean, sure, we've seen it. It's okay to have a drink. But if, if there's something going on in our culture where we celebrate this stuff. Like we're proud of the type of beer that we drink. We're proud of how many drinks we had last night. And we'll post it on Facebook and we'll tell everybody else to play. Will you stop, man or woman of God? Will you stop? Do you realize the stumbling block that you were creating for other people who are just become Christ followers and they look at you and think, what? This is what it means to be a Christian? Come on. We have to love each other enough with wisdom to not be a stumbling block. That goes for our brothers and sisters, but you know what? It also goes for the unchurched. We need to love the unchurched enough not to be a stumbling block. Does that mean, again, that you can, there's never a context where you can have a drink no, it doesn't mean that, but it means that if you're if if you go to church every Sunday and you're the first person they call to go out and party with, I'm telling you they're incredibly confused about what it means to be a Christ follower. So yes, when it comes to these matters of drunkenness, we want to put sexuality on this pedestal that wow, how could people be homosexuals? Well, let's address the issue. How could how can Christians continue to be alcoholics and to be and, and continue a pattern that pursues drunkenness. And even worse, if even if we're not, even if, if that's not where we go, can we not be people that celebrate it? And these are new things because you know it wasn't so easy. You could just have a conversation with a friend about you know something about something you know what you drank or whatever. But now we, we for whatever stupid reason, you guys know I'm like an enemy of Facebook. But it's not that I don't look at it and. I learned some things from it. I connect with people through it. But it's just this, this venue that has been created that we need to publicize, you know, you know, every little thing that goes on in our life that we really don't need to publicize. But these are the things that people like to publicize. And so, therefore, on a Sunday morning, we have to come in and talk about it, <laughs> what the church is doing and what is happening and what it's saying about our faith and what is important to us. And so... Here's how this verse concludes. And oh, I, we talked how we got to love the church. We got to love the unchurched. But we also, listen, church, we have to love God enough to pursue Him with more ardency 
to fill the voids in our life. See, here's the dark truth about a consistent pattern of alcohol consumption, whether it's drunkenness or whether it's a consistent pattern of alcohol consumption. The title of today's message is called Drunk and Not Filled. And if you can put back to Ephesians 5, 15 through 18, Joel, see, this is the problem, is that in verse 18 it says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Remember another word for restless disregard, reckless disregard for life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This pattern of filling voids in our life, of going to this habit, you know, whether you can control it or not, to filling voids in our life is certainly an area that the Lord wants to address with you. He does want to learn how to fill those voids. And if you've learned that, that, that the little bit of my experience with many people are, who, are, who are alcoholics, of course some of this thing can be genetic, but at some point somewhere it began by them starting to fill voids in their life to where a true alcoholic, if most of you know this, that they can't just have one drink. They have to keep going. They, they have to have that feeling. They have to have that feeling to avoid reality. And here's where responsibility comes in. We have to check ourselves And if there's a consistent pattern of doing this as a Christ follower on a regular basis, we do need to look in the mirror at times and ask ourselves, hey, is is this what's going on here for me? Am Am I attempting to fill with this something that God wants to fill me up with? This is where we have this responsibility to examine our own hearts and examine our own lives. Sometimes there can be a pattern of avoidance. A pattern of, a, 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 of whether we are avoiding something or not. But God wants to fill you with what you need. See, the crux of this drunkenness in Scripture goes all the way back to the Romans 1 text that we read last week. We are choosing to reject the will of God and pursuing something else to fill our God-shaped hole in our lives. And that is the problem. It is a pursuit that is anti-Christ. It is a pursuit that is in the opposite direction of the will of the Lord for our life. And that's why it's all over Scripture. Because it's constantly, the love of God is constantly saying to us, I have something better for you. I have something else that I want to get. I want to show you who I am. I want to show you how all of the voids in your life. We need to recognize this in our marriages. Those of you who have been married for a while, I think you've come to recognize this by now. By that person that you're married to, they're not going to fill all the voids in your life. You love them. But I hope you've taken that expectation away by now. Because it's not ever going to be met. And that's the beautiful thing about being a man or a woman of God is that we know where we can find our true identity. We know where all of our voids truly can be met. And church, just as that's true of your spouse, it's not true of a drink either. It's only going to leave you searching for more and doing everything you can to avoid reality. We are called to be men and women of God that live in the truth. So let us be wise. 
Let us be filled with the Spirit. Let us be people that allow the Spirit of God to transform us today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Because your word makes what could be a polarizing, makes what could be a complicated topic actually really clear. It's clear that we can live in a culture. We can partake of things, but yet as men and women of God, we have a responsibility to consider how and why we are partaking of them. We are created to be men and women of God that know how to draw some boundaries in our life. And know how to love others enough without a textbook to know when we are being a stumbling block and, and when we are not. These things don't, this wisdom doesn't come from a book, from, from some, you know, from some pastor who's got it all figured out. This kind of wisdom comes from the real spirit of God that dwells within the hearts of men and women that has been revealed and identified first through his word but now it works in our lives for all those gray areas and brings peace and brings empowerment. And we get to know this spirit when we choose to allow you, Lord, to fill these voids in our life. So all across this church, may we just be people that invite you in and say yes, Lord, to you as the living God. Across this room, I believe that there's people that have been challenged by this. We're not going to do a hands raised kind of conclusion, Lord, but in these moments, I pray as you're speaking, that there would be people that are repentant that say, you know, I've approached this with a bad attitude at times. Lord, I need to be wise. I need to heed to your word and be a man or woman of God that, that pursues after you with love to fulfill the voids and love my brothers and sisters. Lord, may we all be committed to repentance and change as we allow you to bring transformation in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, I want to invite you to stand this morning for your benediction. And it's going to come right out of Ephesians 5, right out the conclusion of Ephesians uh, 5, verses um, 15 through 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which may you not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the spirit. Make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the God, the father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.